I am so excited that we are into season three of my podcast, Stories of Unconscious Bias. When I first began this podcast, I had no idea that it would take off. I began it because I genuinely want more people to listen, reflect and learn about how our life experiences can influence us in ways that we cannot begin to imagine. Due to the wonderful candid stories my speakers have shared, I now know that my podcast is ranked in the top 5% globally. I want to thank all my speakers for this huge achievement. As always, if you enjoy it, please do share, rate and review. Thank you for listening. Welcome, everybody. I have somebody quite interesting that I'm about to speak to today for our stories of unconscious bias. I've got Catherine Birbal Singh. Catherine is headmistress and co-founder of Michaela Community School in Wembley, London. Michaela School is known for its tough love behavior systems, knowledge curriculum and teaching of kindness and gratitude. In 2017, the Office for Standards in Education, Children's Services and Skills graded the school as outstanding in every category. In 2019, the GCSE results showed 54% of graded papers getting a grade 7 or above, with 90% 4 to 9 in maths and 90% 4 to 9 in English. Catherine read philosophy and modern languages at the University of Oxford and has always been teaching in inner London. She's made numerous appearances on television and radio and has written for several UK publications. Catherine has written two books and edited a third and a fourth called The Power of Culture, which has just been published. Whether you agree with Catherine or not, she will make you think. I sometimes wonder, Catherine, whether you're like Marmite. But if you really want to know more about Catherine, do follow her on Twitter. And her Twitter handle is at Miss underscore Snuffy. So, Catherine, I'm excited to talk to you about stories of unconscious bias. And I really appreciate that you've joined this conversation. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. So unconscious bias, I mean, that's that's the, the kind of headline. What, what do you understand by by those two words? Well, it's things you're not conscious of, just thoughts that you might have about people you encounter in life. Um, it could be brief. It could be actually longer term relationships. Um, and you assume certain things about them it could be both positive and negative uh, without any just cause. And I say just cause, um, meaning that uh, it could be because of their gender, their race, their religion. It could be because of their politics. Um, it could be their class. It could be um, any of those uh, characteristics. You look at someone and you think, for instance, you see a blonde woman and you think she must be stupid. That's a very crude example of, <laughs> of, of, of unconscious bias. Um, and I think we all have these kind of biases. It's natural and normal to have them. Um, and I suppose the the reason why these days we talk about them is because um, it, it, you want, as a, as a person, I think, to work uh, to have as few unconscious biases as possible or at least be self-aware enough to know when you have them so that you can counter that and check that each time. Um, because not just about being a better person, but actually I just think you're more likely to get situations right. You know, you want to you don't want to misjudge encounters. You don't want to. Um, misjudge people. And so uh, it, it's best to, to always be thinking about what unconscious bias you might have so that you, you're more likely to get it right. You're so right. Because I mean, and that's, but that's the, the hard bit, isn't it? 
because, and I mean, there are two things that you said here that I just want to respond to. One is that so many people assume that unconscious bias might be a negative uh, opinion or judgment on X, Y, or Z, whereas it could be positive or negative. And I think that's really important for all of us listeners to, to accept and understand. And the second, of course, is the extremely difficult thing of actually reflecting and and thinking and, and exploring what does this mean to us. But of course, in the long run, it, it makes so much more sense. I just wanted to well, share a tiny uh, story. If I no, just say, yeah. and of course, the reason why I think it's such a contentious subject is because people who want to talk about unconscious bias uh, can make it into a kind of club that they beat other people with. And they make people feel as if they're somehow bad people for having unconscious bias, when actually it's just a perfectly normal human trait to have unconscious bias. Thank you for um, And you'll notice that I said, well, you want to think about it because you want to get things right. So I'm not saying people should think about their unconscious biases because otherwise you're a deep racist or because you're a mean person. <laughs> I, you know, And unfortunately, yeah. the brigade who tend to talk about this, that's what they do. They shove it down people's throats. And then what it forces the other side to do is they retreat and say, I don't have unconscious biases. I don't know Which what you're is, talking about. Yeah, we're you know, putting people on the defensive aren't exactly. again. What's the and point? So, and people aren't going to listen. So you've got these two camps and they're unable to hear each other. And my point is, look, it's not about you have to interrogate your unconscious biases. It's more, well, look, you want to be a successful person. You want to be emotionally intelligent. You want to be able to hire the right people for your company. Um, you want to be able to know how to talk to your boss um, in an emotionally intelligent way. So all of those things require you to be self-aware about your own unconscious biases. And, and it's just about developing in life and becoming a better person. And I put that within inverted commas, mm. just because you're learning skills. It's, it's skilled. And, um, and it's like learning another language. That's all it is. You know, it's just it's just gaining no, another skill. Well said, exactly. And I, I mean, if you were seeing me, I'd be I'm nodding my head vigorously in agreement <laughs> with you. I was I was thinking of a story that someone shared with me. Um, this is many years ago now, and I was just thinking about the power of unconscious bias and how you know the point is it's unconscious and we don't know. And there was this young man in India, and he would probably be now in his I don't know fifties, I'm guessing. And uh, 30, 40 years ago, he was in school. I think about forty, but he's over ten years old. He was in school and uh, they were having whole school assembly. And, and for those of us who don't know what that is, it means when parents are invited and so on. So all the children are at the back and, and the parents, the adults from the front. And he, being just a kid of 10 or 12, was bored and he was scrunching up pieces of paper and flicking it into the audience. Well, he got caught and he was taken up on stage and he was asked to kneel in front of you know, his parents and his friends' parents and everybody else for the rest of assembly. Now, the poor boy was so traumatized by this particular experience. So fast forward many years, and he was telling this, you know, sharing this story with me. Um, he recognized that he was finding it, un this was, un he didn't know at the time, but un with the benefit of hindsight, unconsciously, he was finding it very difficult to work with leaders and managers. He wanted to be in charge of his own decisions. So he kept coming in and out of various different jobs. And he only ended up becoming successful when he reflected and understood what that trauma had done to him. He started his own company right. and long story cut short, he, he was a very successful entrepreneur. But when you hear stories like that, Catherine, what kind of stories come to your mind about your own unconscious biases? Well, you know, one that I'm always very much aware of when I'm hiring, um, you know, I think it's... Uh, very easy. I think this is the case with everyone, frankly. It's not just me. <laughs> I think it's very easy to hear a certain kind of accent 
and to see a certain uh, that a, a, a candidate might present themselves in a certain kind of fashion. And when I say a certain kind of accent, I, I basically mean kind of public school type accent um, and assume that that person is much better than they actually are. Um, and it's, it's, it's unconscious. You, you naturally do it. And because they're because they can be quite articulate, because their schools have taught them well, because they have a certain kind of accent, because that's how the children talked at their school, um, and because they might um, be quite confident in their manner, the way they sit down on a chair, the way they hold, you shake your hand, the way they look at you in the eye, the way they get themselves up from a chair, the way they walk, all of these things ha are learned habits that they have taken on over many years um, of being in the environment that they were in school. And mm -hmm. they all signal to the employer that that person is capable, skilled, intelligent, uh, hardworking, uh, trustworthy in all of these characteristics you will assign without really thinking about it and then if you get another candidate who has perhaps been to a state school not a very good state school uh, doesn't speak in the same kind of fashion etc um, you could easily just assume that the first candidate is is is, is the better person for the job and um, and I think you can miss out so here's an example of you can miss out on actually hiring the best person for the job because of your own unconscious biases and that's mm. a problem for you as an employer and so it's something that I always keep a check on for me um because I don't want to be tricked as it were by those superficialities um because actually what I want is somebody who's super intelligent uh super quick in the classroom somebody who um is is very hard working very dedicated and uh will be able to, has a certain kind of flexibility. I mean, great teachers are extremely flexible in the classroom and can jump from one thing to the next and then change their minds and, oh, haven't explained that properly and I'll take a step back and move forward. And, and they can feel the room and they have a high amount of emotional intelligence, not just uh, raw intelligence, but an emotional type of intelligence, which is required in the classroom and um, to make the right judgments. And, uh, and, and so I'm just aware that those superficialities that I spoke about in terms of confidence and accent and so on uh, can can trick you into thinking that they can do the stuff in the classroom better than somebody who doesn't have those superficial characteristics. Um, and, and I'm just aware of that. So uh, you just have to keep checking yourself. <laughs> um, and that's the thing with unconscious bias, with any type of unconscious bias, once you know yourself and being self-aware is so important for success in life. Um, not just with regard to unconscious bias, but with regard to everything. I know I'm very loud, you know. I know mm -hmm. that I can talk too much, you know. And so when I am talking too much, I can sometimes check myself and say, oh, Catherine, Catherine, have you said too much here? Come on, shut up, let the other person go, you know. Um, that is, you know, that, 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 that makes the person more successful because they can alter their behavior in order to make other people feel more comfortable around them. So true, because we have to first, I mean, if the self-awareness is not there, then how would you know that, that we are not talking enough or we are talking too much or any of that? And the point about accent is so right, because I've had so many stories similar to, to what you're saying. I mean, and it doesn't, it's not just about uh, a state school versus, say, private school educated accents. It could be even somebody coming from Birmingham to London to work or somebody coming from Nigeria to London to work and based mm -hmm. on their accent. And I remember a Nigerian uh, a person saying to me, I know I'm very good at what I do, but there's no, no way that I'm going to be getting one of those senior positions because I have a strong Nigerian accent. And it breaks your heart when you hear mm -hmm. stories like that. Um, yeah. So it, it, it's, a, it's a very valid point. 
but other than recruitment, because I hear your accent, Catherine, and you don't have a, a typical English accent, uh, whatever that sounds like these days, a London accent, there is a little tinge of something else. Uh, so do you want to tell us a little bit about where did you get oh. that accent from and why do you sound the way you do? What are your stories and your unconscious biases maybe in relation to that? Um, well, I grew up in Canada. My parents are from the Caribbean. My father's from Guyana. My mother's Jamaican. Um, I was born in New Zealand, weirdly enough. And then um, I grew up for the main part in Canada. But age 15, I came to England. And, um, and, and it was certainly a bit of a shock coming to England and the differences um, in terms of I would say actually in terms of race for me when I came, um, I lived in Leamington Spa um, and I was at a mainly white school. And um, while there may have been problems with race in Canadian schools where I went before, it, I, I did have, uh, you know, it was very different when I came to England. So, you know, being called the P word or um, uh, uh, being left out of friendship groups and things like that hadn't necessarily happened to me in such a big way as they did to me in the 1980s in England. Of course, I think England has vastly transformed since those times. But I do think uh, in those days, um, you know, I, I think there were, you know, big issues around race in the 1980s in England, um, which is one of the reasons why, you know, I'm always very vocal about the fact that I think England is such a great country to live in now with regard to race. Um, and when people are highly critical of it, uh, again, you know, I would point back to the, when I said the advocates for unconscious bias slam this stuff down people's throats. Similarly, when people are talking about uh, racist Britain, and of course, Britain does have issues of race and, you know, we need to address those. I don't think they're anywhere near as bad as um, people uh, sometimes make them out to be uh, in 2020 uh, and that Britain has come a very far away from where it was in, in the 1980s. Um, but yes, and so, and then I, I've been here ever since, really. I've been here for um, over 30 years, <laughs> so a long right. time. No, yeah. it's interesting because, I mean, obviously, uh, this whole idea, because you came at it as a young person, and then you're understanding and engaging and accepting and, and having your own identity, all this is part of our, our own unconscious bias. And I was thinking of that, I, you might have seen it, the Channel 4 uh, experiment television documentary called uh, The School That Tried to End Racism, where they, where mm. they took year six children Mm -hmm. um, and try to help them understand what is unconscious bias. I mean, did you see it? Do you have Do you have any comments on that? Yeah. Well, I I must say I I don't look kindly on this sort of thing. Um, I do think that we need to allow children to be children. Um, and yes, unconscious bias is a thing, as we've just discussed. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, uh, I think we should all. Um, think about it and become more skilled at, at being better people. But I don't believe that it's something that we should be looking at in schools. Um, I don't believe that um, children, in particular white children in this case, should be made to feel as if they've done something wrong. Because the point about unconscious bias is that it's not just to do with race. <laughs> it's to do with everything um, of it is. all of yes. the time. Yes. Uh, and so you know, you you meet someone and you hear they're a conservative, so you assume that they must not be very nice, or you hear that they are a supporter of Corbyn, therefore they must be, I don't know, pro-environment, for instance. You know, you you assume you 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 assume things about people on all kinds of levels. Um and that's impossible to address in a school context. And I don't think it's appropriate for school. School teaches you maths and English and history and geography and so on. Um I do think that it's worth thinking about one's unconscious biases, but I also think, you know, 
we aren't teaching them emotional intelligence. I mean, it's not something it's it's not appropriate for school. And and I also just think that uh, this push on unconscious bias just being about race uh, makes white people feel very uncomfortable. And I understand why they feel uncomfortable, because it's not fair to single them out as the only people who have unconscious bias, because we all do on a great many number of different things. Yes, absolutely. And in fact, that's why uh, this podcast is so important to me, because we, we, you know, I have had some amazing stories shared with me with from different people from different parts of the world who say, you know, who share their stories. And it isn't about just, uh, you know, this whole business of white or black. Uh, it's much more nuanced than that. And it's and all of us will always have unconscious biases. Absolutely. Uh, but well, just, OK, just, but like, I mean, like a story, for instance, that people won't necessarily think. So as a as a black girl growing up in Toronto um, and then later here, um, you know, and I was in a school with with mainly white, I mean, all white children uh, and in all the various schools I was in. And, you know, I was always the odd one out. So I didn't belong when they would have a school dance. I was I would be sat on the bench and no boy would ever ask me to dance. Now, what the effect of that um was that I grew up thinking that I was just ugly. That, that I just, I used to, you know, I believed that. I just thought it was really sad. I was really ugly and all these other girls were pretty. And um, and I hated my hair. And I hated my hair because it was black Afro type hair as opposed to long straight blonde hair like my best friend. And um, and I knew that I, I, was, I was the problem and I was unattractive. Now, that's no one's fault. And I don't think that it would have been right to have um, pulled all the white children aside and said, you're unconsciously biased and to have said to the boys, you're not asking Catherine to dance because she's black and you have to ask her to dance. I mean, that's just weird. right? I mean, mm. That's weird. And I would have felt very uncomfortable had that happened. And but at the same time, it's quite good to be aware of these things, um, because when I got older and grew up, you know, and I sort of, I suppose when I was in my 20s, used to think it was the story of the ugly duckling, that I had been ugly and that I just became more attractive later when I was older. When actually, that's not what happened. Uh, it wasn't that I was unattractive. It was that I was a little black girl in a white class. That's what was, that's what it was. <laughs> and I didn't understand that as a child. Um, now, but that's okay. That doesn't mean my life is over. I mean, you know, you 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 get to a certain age. You look back. You analyze. You think, oh, that's why that happened, and that's why I I, I thought I was ugly. And and I'm not scarred for life. I'm okay. <laughs> well, um, I mean, it's 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 interesting that you're saying the, the way you're saying it because um, it's. I think I read something, or maybe it was either a tweet or a video or something of yours. And and what I'm paraphrasing what you're saying is it's about being comfortable in your own skin, isn't it? Mm. I mean, when you grew Indeed. up. And, and but but and I think what I also remember reading is that uh, you work very hard at making sure that every single child in your school is comfortable in their own skin. So, but how does that work? That's because that so much is about challenging our own stories because your narrative yes. listen at the end of the day let's face it it was painful you sitting on the side watching all these kids dance couldn't have been easy for you yet you no. seem to manage it and and you did become more comfortable in your own skin and that's that's a lot of people are not able to do that you see uh, you yeah had it's the a wisdom and the self-reflection 
but a lot of later, people later. they can be 45 but could be but the point is they could now be 45 55 years and old still not and done. they are still mm. not in that situation and okay. that's what makes it so difficult for them that's the thing yes but what i would say is that we all have obstacles in life we all have so you might look at you know my best friend at the time who was blonde and beautiful and all the rest of it um i mean and i'm still very good friends with her <laughs> and um you know, life has given her all sorts of knocks along the way. <laughs> and, 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 and just because I'm black and she's white doesn't mean that I'm going to have more knocks. Actually, it, life is complex. And so where, where we go wrong in society is just making an assumption because of what someone looks like, that they've necessarily had more or fewer obstacles than someone else. And the other mistake we make is that, yes, you're right. I am quite resilient. I am somebody who picks myself up when I fall down and I keep on going. So, you know, I didn't let that stop me, even though I thought I was ugly. I just thought, well, I'm ugly. I'll just have to live a life as an ugly girl. And that's how it is. Um, but and, and then later I was able to kind of analyze that and sort it out and and not let it have such a negative impact on my life. Although you are right that it has had impact. So uh, why do I want the children to feel comfortable in their skin? Possibly because I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. What do I do when I have conversations with some of our young girls who um, want to, um, oh, they try and over-sexualize themselves and they want to make themselves uh, available to boys uh, because they think the only way in which they can get a boy is to, uh, uh, you know, pu push out their bottoms and put on lipstick and make themselves look much older and or to... Uh, or to do things, you know, sexual treats um, that they really shouldn't do just in order to get a boy's attention. And they do that because they're so convinced that they're, that they're not attractive and that the only way that they can get a boy's attention is by doing other things. And, and so I can have conversations with them and I can say, I know what it's like not to feel attractive. I know what it's like to feel like you do. And there's a connection there. So yes, these, these, um, these negative experiences uh, can have positive uh, outcomes later, as long as you're able to identify them, to work them through and to own them. And that's what's important in life. As I said, you know, you spend life um, developing and, 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 and figuring yourself out and being self-aware. Um, so you, but you're right that not everybody can do that. But then I'd say, well, we need to help them do that. I don't think the solution is to go to the rest of the world and say, you need to change. I don't think the solution for me was to go to those boys and say, you have to ask Catherine to dance. I think the solution is for me to learn how to cope with that particular obstacle in life. And then obviously, generally speaking, we talk to everybody as, as we're doing now. We talk about unconscious bias. We suggest to, you know, I, I, I talk to my staff about, about exactly this sort of thing and, and how we want to be self-aware and, and about everything. Thing, not just about race um and um because we want to be better people and uh, you know yeah does that make sense completely and totally makes sense and and, and i love the fact that uh, because so many of us obviously life is, is is cyclical we will have ups we will have downs and if we are able to reflect on the the, the problems, the challenges that we've had, and then turn it around. And mm. so that was your unconscious bias when you finally reflected on it. You recognize that, you know what, I've got to try and help other people not go through the same issues that I did as a teenager in school. And, yes. and that they're lucky kids, as far as I'm concerned, you know, <laughs> to have you as their, their headmistress, to, to have these really open, honest conversations with them. And that I completely, totally agree with you. But yes. So could you share another story, Catherine, perhaps from another angle, perhaps if it's not your unconscious bias, maybe um, somebody else's? Um, I, I'm just thinking yeah. aloud, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, well, 
obviously there's lots of situations like that for me in particular with regard to race, I suppose. Um, I mean, my whole um, struggle, for instance, to set up the school, I think, is uh, inextricably bound in in, in race. Um, it, the 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 white middle class uh, Guardian readers who were so determined to stop me, I think, um, in part, is because of my skin color. Um, they couldn't they couldn't stand to see a black woman taking control and being conservative and uh, doing things the way she thought they needed to be. That um, that. There are too many of them who want to patronize black people and want to help them. You know, they love the idea of the white knight in shining armor uh, swooping in and, and feeding the Africans and saving the black people who are unable to save themselves and that it gives them a real boost. They feel um, powerful and they feel good and virtuous. And, um, and that when a black person uh, decides to say, no, no, actually, I don't need your help. I'm going to do this on my own and I'm going to make this happen. And actually, I don't agree with you on many of the ideas that you have about black people and about kids in schools and about what they can achieve and about what's necessary to help them achieve and that I'm going to do exactly the opposite to what you've been doing in your schools um, and that not only that I'm then successful at doing it uh, they can't stand it it makes them so angry because it makes them feel inadequate and um and and just not needed, you know. And the thing and the reason why they love giving their time to this sort of thing is is because it makes them feel virtuous and good. Um, and you know, so I, I, you know, this is the the brigade of people who put up black boxes on Instagram and say, "Look, I'm not racist." You know, they love that, and they look at me. I'm feeding the African child. Um, but when the African child can feed himself, um, which is where real power is, and that's what I say about the unconscious bias there, it's not for those boys to be forced to dance with me. It's for Catherine to figure out how to cope without them dancing with her. And when I figure out how to cope with that, when I figured out how to, because it's partly being able to figure out how to, how, how to cope with being ugly, that I've also figured out how to do things differently and turn things on their head in terms of education. And I've done that. And they don't like it. They hate it. And, um, and, 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 and so, and what I keep doing is I keep pointing my finger back at them and saying, you say other people are racist. Well, you need to interrogate your own racism because I think this is all about racism and all about race when it comes to this, that they, it, it galls them that when black people are able to turn around and say, no, I reject what you say and I'm going to do things differently. And so, yeah, I just, uh, that I think is a perfect example of unconscious bias. And I think it exists very much, um, uh, within the left. Um, and of course, there's racism on the right, loads of it. I mean, and people are all very kind of clear about what that kind of racism looks like. And they imagine kind of the National Front and that sort of thing. Or, um, you know, they might talk about unconscious bias, actually, of, of, of racism on the right. What they don't do is talk about it on the left. And um, and uh, in talking about it on and, and on the left, I think it's very pernicious because it's not seen. You see, they see it on the right and people are very clear about what racism looks like on the right. They are not clear about what it looks like on the left. And it doesn't come. It comes in disguise, that racism. And it looks like people are being helpful. But because what they're doing is feeding their own um, desire to seem virtuous, 
I've put a black box up on Instagram because that's what they're doing. And they're not actually interested in the outcomes about whether or not actually racism has been reduced by that black box. They're not interested, interested in that. Or actually, are our schools uh, succeeding? Are the, is maybe perhaps what Catherine Beryl Singh says about uh, children in the inner city and what they need and don't need. Maybe we should be listening to this. But they shut down and they shut down because they're not actually interested in the outcomes. What they're interested in is feeling like they are virtuous. And that is, I think, you know, the difference between being virtuous and signaling virtue, um, massive unconscious bias that is, is, is throughout our society. I would not just on the left, also on the right, but I think it is a particular, uh, uh, you know, uh, characteristic of the left. Um, would that be your conscious bias, do you think? I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be kind of pushing the buttons a tiny bit. Mm. And see, would that be your conscious bias? That, what do you mean? That the left, in terms of, you know, the left are a certain way and the right are a certain, because that's what I'm hearing. Now, I'm a Guardian reader, mm-hmm. as an example. I mean, I'm not white, but that's not the point. Mm, uh, no, no, it I, is. And it I is, do, actually. You're I not being white one, makes a big difference. <laughs> but, but my concern, though, is that even, I'm not, I think what, what it's at the point about unconscious bias is trying not to put people into boxes. And therefore, No, so obviously not all white Guardian readers are like this, but there is a trend amongst them. Look, the ones who, you don't hate our school. You're also not white, but you also don't hate our school. You you haven't campaigned to try and stop us from opening. You haven't um, been at parents' evenings and infiltrated uh, in order to stand up and shout me down when I'm talking. You haven't sent me racist emails. You haven't stood outside our school with protest cards uh, with Tory teacher written on them. And um, you haven't forced me to hire bouncers because I'm so worried about the violence that might ensue because uh, these people are going to attack me. You know, you haven't done that. So I'm, I'm talking about these people and I'm explaining why they are so emotional about it and why they are so committed to trying to stop our school from succeeding. That's I mean, and that, of course, is showing their own unconscious biases is, is the point that you're making, which is a very powerful and very emotive uh, uh, point that you've made. So I really appreciate that because it isn't just about um, the expectations of political affiliations and how people should behave. It's much more than that. Is that's, that's exactly what you're saying. I, I appreciate well, that. Yeah, what I'm saying is, is that because they're not aware of their unconscious bias, they think, they actually believe that what they're doing is right. <laughs> and they don't, I would say, that they don't realize that what the, the, the number one thing that's motivating them is racism, is, is what I would say. Now, I mean, there's a lot of people who disagree with me, not just the people on the left, people on the right, because many people on the right refuse to recognize how complex racism is. And they just deny that it exists. And they deny it exists because uh, the people on the left are constantly bludgeoning them with it. So, um, and when they're bludgeoning them with it, the people on the right go, no, 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 it doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. And so the people, people in the middle who recognize that racism isn't just black and white, it's actually far more complex. And it, and it, and it, and it, and it uh, reveals itself unconsciously in all kinds of ways, both on the right and on the left. Uh, the reason why I'm quite vocal about what happens on the left is partly because I'm often the victim of the, of the left's racism. But it's also because I think people are far more conscious of racism on the right and they understand it much better. And it tends to be um, we, we tend to just think of right people on the right are racist, people on the left are not because people on the left are good. And I'm saying, no, what they're doing is signaling virtue. They are not actually being virtuous. That's very exactly what. So what you're saying is, let's not make things so simple because that actually makes it's a more divisive society if you if you put people into blocks, and and that is why uh, uh, suggesting that um, 
left and right behave in a certain way. Or even, it's not just that, it could be even private schools versus state schools. Not all children from private schools are like so, and not all children from state schools are like so. It's a, it's, it's, yeah. it's a combination of who we are as human beings, and it's about accepting that every one of us might come with different stories and different life experiences rather exactly. than just because somebody reads this paper they like so and somebody who votes for exactly. such and such is like so yeah i get that totally. exactly yeah exactly yeah. which is what we were saying earlier i mean the fact exactly. is that we, people have unconscious biases on a, a huge number of things i mean of course it's quite funny because i'm saying it's not just about race it's not just about race and i've talked quite a lot about race <laughs> but the fact is it isn't um you know people have biases about all sorts of things, you know. I mean, I don't know. There's some guys outside working on the road right now, um, digging it up. Uh, if if they told me they listen to Mozart regularly, I'd probably be surprised, you know, because my unconscious bias is such that I don't imagine that they do listen to Mozart. But I, and there's an example of just every day, all the time, <laughs> we have yeah. biases. But the point is, those biases are also what help us, they help us to survive. You know, you, you have to be making, you have to be second guessing things all of the time because otherwise you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to function as a human being. So the difficulty for people is figuring out, okay, you need to make these unconscious bias uh, decisions constantly because you are, but then also knowing when to interrogate some of them to make sure that they're not actually making you weaker as opposed to stronger. But how are we going to do that, Catherine? That's the million dollar question, because that's hard. So how do it you is. do it? How do you manage your own unconscious biases? Well, I mean, I don't know. You're just trying to be as self-aware as you can. And then, and recognize, I think this is important, recognize that not all unconscious bias is necessarily bad and that actually it helps us to survive. So, you know, <laughs> you, because you're making decisions all of the time, split second decisions, you know, you, you get on the tube and, um, you you make an assumption about, oh, I don't know, any number of different things. Somebody opens a door or doesn't open a door. Are they doing it because they're being nice? Are they doing it because they think you're, you know, whatever. You're, you're constantly thinking on, uh, you're constantly making such decisions. Um, I don't know. I mean, you, you, you think about, you know, important bits. Like notice I talk to you about when I'm hiring um, yes, because correct. that's really important. <laughs> and so it's really important I get that right. Um, whether or not I assume that the guys working on the road listen to Mozart isn't going to make like that is, doesn't matter so much. So I haven't lost any sleep over whether or not I think they listen to Mozart. And I'm not at the end of this conversation going to go outside and ask these guys, do you listen no. to Mozart? Because I don't want to misjudge you because otherwise I'm a terrible person if I, if I, if I don't realize that you listen to Mozart. <laughs> yes. I mean, you know, you've also got to be forgiving about these sorts of things. The, the problem with the unconscious bias brigade is that they're extremely unforgiving and they behave as if they themselves don't have biases uh, and they bludgeon other people and say, you are a bad person for having them, when in fact it's perfectly normal to have them and you wouldn't survive in life if you didn't have them. I mean, I think that is an important point. Um, so, look, everyone should be more self-aware. Not just to do with unconscious bias, but just generally, like I said, I speak too much or I'm, you know, I'm loud or, you know, I'm quite confident um, at times. But other times I may, may not be so confident. I can be quite shy, understanding when I'm shy and understanding when I don't have to be so shy. You know, you, you want to know about yourself so that you can put yourself 
in situations where you're like more likely to be successful. When it comes to uh, people on my senior team, for instance, I think carefully about making sure that I make up for my own weaknesses. I'm very bad at timetabling, very bad at numbers and all that sort of thing. Um, it's not my strength. So I make sure that I have somebody really good on my senior team who can make up for that weakness of mine. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, I surround myself with people who make up for my weaknesses. That requires a self-awareness to be able to do that, not just about unconscious bias, but just about who you are. And I think that on the other very, very important point that you said is to be forgiving. Uh, and I think that I really want the listeners to, to, to think about, you know, don't be so hard on yourself. Be kind to yourself because we all, every one of us in this, you have unconscious biases. Try and be self-aware and at the same time, be kind to yourself and be forgiving. That's wonderful yes. and very, very good advice. Catherine, Catherine Beaver saying, I really appreciate your sharing your stories of unconscious bias. Hugely enjoyed it. I think, you know, the listeners are going to get a lot out of this conversation. So thank you so very much for your time. Thank you for having me. It was really fun, actually. I haven't had a conversation like that on any part done so um you know it was really interesting thanks no thanks again thank you for listening to my podcast stories of unconscious bias if you enjoyed hearing this episode do tune in every saturday for a new interview and if you could share leave a review and rating that would be hugely appreciated you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Smitha Tharoor, and feel free to suggest new guests. Until next week.